Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us, but truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Hey friends, welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. Grateful that you've tuned in today. Grateful for anyone and every time that uh, somebody checks in to see what I'm sharing on the podcast. And uh, just glad that you're here today. You know, for several weeks, probably, I don't know, four or five episodes in a row, I've really just been anchored down on topics, issues, and thoughts that are pertaining to warfare, spiritual warfare, and becoming more and more convinced in this season uh, that the tactics of the enemy are often underestimated by uh, God, godly, good Christians. I mean, people that love the Lord, love the Word of God, or kingdom-minded, but have kind of um, dismissed the significance of warfare. And if there was ever a terrible time to be doing that, it's it's as we are approaching the end of the age, which, of course, um, clearly in Scripture, the end of the age is marked by significant um, aggression and uptick. Uh, from Satan and the demonic realm. And sadly, uh, a lot of Christians are just not really zeroing in on this. Um, there's a couple of reasons why a lot of Christians don't. One of the reasons is is they just believe um, in such a way that says, well, Jesus Christ has um, come, lived, died, rose again, ascended. He's interceding for us, and he's coming back one day. The victory's won. Therefore, Satan's a defeated foe. So I don't give him any credit. I don't give him any time of day. I don't think about him and and their motive is that hey why bother with the enemy when he's defeated I get that I understand that concept um, I don't agree with it because um, uh, all of that same thing was true when Peter Jude James John Paul uh, were writing their epistles to the church and those writers those apostles had a, had a wealth of content concerning the adversary, the enemy, and our call and how to wage war against them. So the idea that just because Jesus has secured the ultimate victory, the idea that that means that we don't have to be really tuned in to the concept of warfare is just not a biblical thought. As a matter of fact, I think it's an irresponsible thought. The other extreme is that um, some people are concerned that if they start going down the spiritual warfare route, that they'll become one of those Christians, one of the weirdos, one of those that sees it demon behind every shrub and you know every single malady in the world will be attributed to the demonic realm and you know people who have a hangnail will say I've got the demon of a hangnail and they just don't want to become weird and I would have to say yeah I've, I've seen some of that craziness and you do have to be circumspect in your approach to warfare because you don't want to hit either one of those ditches the ditches of negligence versus the ditch of um you know, crazy fanaticism. And somewhere in the middle ground, there's just a, a clear call for you and I to be aware that we have an actual enemy, that it, Satan is not just, you know, a symbolic representation of all that is wrong in the world. No, he's an actual created being and he's active and he's strategic and he's got an innumerable host of um, agents, demons, fallen angels, spirits that do his bidding. And not to mention that he is described in ways that are very clear in scripture that show that he has some power and authority in the world today. It doesn't trump the power and authority of God, but it does trump the power and authority of the natural realm. And, you know, there's a reason why he is described as the prince 
of the power of the air, that there is a realm in which he governs and rules. And so the idea that, you know, that's no big deal is just, it's foreign to New Testament Christianity. So I've just been, um, you know, doing a personal study for weeks and weeks and weeks on this issue. One of the things that motivated it for me was a very personal uh, reason. After 2020 and um, battling cancer and beating cancer and then having 10 plus months um, sidelined from ministry as I took an intentional sabbatical and then got my body back in order after the radiation and chemo and all of that. Um, I had plenty of time to think about life and I had plenty of time to consider, you know, where have the attacks been? My life has been in, in and out of nonstop warfare for um, really almost the entirety of my Christian life, but definitely since I became a pastor uh, to, in 2002. Um, and most of the time, for many of those years, I just thought I was fighting people. Um, the spirit of religion, I, I would talk about the spirit of religion, but I would fail to recognize it's an actual spirit. There's an actual demonic assignment and a demonic power and a demonic oversight of the spirit of religion. I just thought it was, you know, narrow people being narrow, but it was far more than that. But I didn't recognize that for years. And so um, I tried to do spiritual combat with um, counseling and reason and logic and Bible studies and conversations and, you know, conflict resolution and all of these um, humanly originated and humanly powered um, tactics to fight the enemy. And um, <laughs> those battles went on very long. Uh, they cost much. I didn't do, in all cases, what I should have done, and the people I were fighting, I was fighting, uh, didn't do what they should have done, and so it was just a prolonged war because none of us understood what we were really fighting, so we fought each other. Really sad. And then when the cancer hit, of course, I'll even say this, in 2011, my wife was in a catastrophic head-on accident, and um, it almost killed her. And very sadly, it, it did take the life of my mother-in-law, who was uh, my wife's best friend and the most precious woman in our family. And um, Amy almost died, and then we thought she'd be in a wheelchair the rest of her life or an amputee because of the damage to her lower body. Um, and so we, we fought through that. We pressed through that. God gave grace. God gives incremental healing. Um, we've, we're astounded at the recovery Amy's made, but we look back on that now, and there's a clear, clear um, tactic of the enemy to, to take us out, um, to kill, literally kill my wife. And if not to kill her, then to um, incapacitate her for the rest of her days. And then when we come into, you know, the year 2019 and I'm diagnosed with cancer and then 2020 fighting cancer, I look back on that now and I'm, I'm, I haven't, listen, I'm not saying every sickness and every car wreck is of the devil. I'm just saying these two were, there's no doubt in my mind that the enemy tried to take me out, literally tried to kill me with cancer. And so on the back end of all of these upheavals, I've had um, the better part of over a year now to really think through how am I preparing myself for um, combat? Let, let's don't preach and talk about combat. Let's don't, let's don't give lip service to spiritual warfare and then not actually do the um, hard work of saying, how am I preparing my soul? How am I waging war in the spirit? Not how am I defending, not how am I just running to the Lord and hiding, but how am I actually obeying the commands of scripture and the teachings of scripture that signify that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have a authority 
that he's given. I literally have authority. That means I have delegated authority from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to wage war against the enemy. And the enemy has to bow to the authority of Christ. And I am a deputized servant of God with that authority. But not only the authority, I have actually have the power. Authority and power are not the same thing. Authority is your right to exercise the power that you have. And we have both. And most Christians aren't doing anything with it. God, forgive me if that sounds critical, but it's my observation that most Christians have a laissez-faire, que sera, sera kind of attitude about spiritual warfare. And they're just expecting God to do all the heavy lifting. When when you study scripture in the vast amount, just study the New Testament. You don't, That's not even taken into consideration the Old Testament. Jesus Christ commissioned us to send the devil running to literally take back surrender territory, to chase the enemy out of territories, out of our lives, out of our families, out of our neighborhoods, out of our schools, out of our churches, out of our cities. Now, I know that that sounds like really kooky to some of you guys, um, but I, I, I want to tell you, a lot of you are, are, are so um, theologically driven. I am too, by the way. I'm a theologically driven Christian in the sense of I want to know what's true because if I don't know what's true, then I can't live according to truth. So I'm theologically driven, but some of you are theology addicts, meaning this, you're not using the theology you already know. You're, you're just ever living to gain more and more theology. All you do is mine down deep instead of moving forward. And you're digging in the same spot. You're just going deeper and deeper and deeper in the same spot, but you're not advancing to take territory. Um, and the Bible really is clear that we're to do both. We're, we're to pursue knowledge. We are to pursue wisdom. We are to pursue truth and we're to live accordingly, but we are to live. That means you actually live out what you know. And the idea that I need to spend another year of my life gaining more and more and more theology when I'm not even really using the theology that I already know, I just think that that's a poor representation of what it means to follow Jesus. So today, um, in my remaining time, that was about 10 minutes, um, in my remaining time, I just I want to talk to you about this issue of warfare, and it's an aspect of warfare that I know is coming against your life regularly, especially if you're following Jesus with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Um, what, what am I talking about? Well, the enemy wages war, the, the chief battlefield, which he likes to get you to um, lay down and die upon, is the battlefield of the mind. He, he really does operate in the West primarily um, in an industrialized intellectual culture like uh, the United States of America. He wants to attack your mind. He wants to go after how you think. Because he knows uh, what the scripture says, that as a person thinks in his or her heart, so goes that person's life. And so that the enemy wants you deceived. Primarily, Satan's kind of arena that he operates in constantly is deception. And he is a master at operating in nuances, um, innuendo, uh, suspicion, doubt. Uh, he, he likes to parse words and somehow whisper to us through uh, demonic um, uh, channels. He wants to get into our head. I don't know how he does it, man. I mean, he does it primarily through um, communication that come from other sources, but he's in it. And so one of the things that he does is he likes to work an accusation. And it's not a new tactic. He's been doing it since the Garden of Eden. Um, he accused God to Eve. He said, hey, God hasn't really said that you're not supposed to eat that tree, has he? And did, he did he tell you you're going to die? Oh, that's just because he doesn't want you to be like him. He knows if you eat that, you'll be like him. You'll, you'll be a God, and he doesn't want you to do that. So he's keeping something from you. So Satan's first tactic in the garden was to operate an accusation. He accused God to Eve. Um, 
If you get to the book of Zechariah, matter of fact, I'm going to read these verses because this is primarily, in my opinion, one of the best illustrations um, of Satan's ministry of accusation that he brings against believers. And in this case, like he's doing with uh, Joshua, the high priest in Zechariah chapter three, he's, he's, he's accusing Zechariah, excuse me, accusing Joshua, the high priest of Joshua's own unworthiness and sin. And it's amazing to me that how powerfully and quickly the Lord comes to the rescue, to the aid of the accused one. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because some of you have such a beautiful, acute sensitivity, not cute, but acute sensitivity to sin that you are deeply grieved when you fail. And I never want to talk people down from that. I want people to to hate their sin. In my opinion, the worst sin in, in, the, in existence is mine, not yours, not certain segments of society, uh, not the other side of the political aisle. The worst sin in existence is mine. And the reason why I feel that way is because I understand how much I've been forgiven, what, what it costs the Lord to provide that forgiveness, how good he is to me, how much he loves me. So I'm way more horrified at my own sin than I am at anybody else's. And so I want to keep that acute sensitivity to sin, but the the problem that attaches itself to that is that we sometimes live under, under a perpetually susceptible conscience for the enemy to come in and take our sensitivity to sin and turn it into shame and guilt and accusation. That's what he was trying to do with Joshua and Zechariah 3. So this is what it says. It's a vision that Zechariah is having. And it says um, th that the Lord showed Zechariah and uh, Joshua, the high priest, was standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan, standing at his right hand to accuse him. This is Zechariah 3, the verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And speaking of Joshua, the high priest, the Lord said to Satan, Is he not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel and Joshua was clothed with filthy garments that represents his sin, that represents his failures, that represents, and by the way, he's the priest, he's the high priest. So he's the representation of all that should be holy in the human realm. And Joshua was standing there before God, undeniably clothed in filthy garments that represented his undeniable sin. And so verse four, the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from Joshua. And to Joshua, he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. By the way, the angel of the Lord here is the Son of God. He says, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And then Zechariah says, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with, with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. So just real quickly here, I got two more verses in this. I want you to get the picture. So the scene is a courtroom in heaven. And in the courtroom, Satan is the accusing prosecutor. And Joshua is the one on trial. And they're standing before the judgment bar of God. And the angel of the Lord, which is clearly a representation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, before he was incarnated as Jesus Christ. He is called the angel of the Lord, as he often is in the Old Testament. But he is the defense. He's the defense attorney. He's the advocate for Joshua the accused. And Joshua can't hide his sin. He's got the dirty garments on and he's defiled. He's sinful. He's dirty. And so Satan is accusing him to God. You know, it goes like this. 
Look at this man. He's filthy. He's the best you've got. He's the high priest. He's the leader of the all things religious in Israel. And look at him. He's stained. He's soiled. He's defiled. He's sullied. He's sinful. And so Satan is taking facts, but he's framing them up in a powerful accusation. Imagine Joshua standing there and just, he's before God and he's hearing all of this accusation about how filthy and dirty and unworthy and sinful he is. And Joshua is not saying a thing because he can't defend himself. And then the Lord Jesus, the, the son of God, the angel of the Lord in this case, it's a pre-incarnate, it's a call to Christophany for, for all my theological friends. And, and the angel of the Lord says, remove the filthy garments from him. And then he says, this is how we know it's the Lord. He says, I have taken your iniquity away from you. I clothe you with pure garments, which it's just crazy good, man. This is so, so good. Uh, Joshua's accused. He can't defend himself. Satan's got the facts on his side, but the son of God steps up and he says, oh, just, just so everybody's on the same page here. I'm the one with authority in this courtroom. And I have paid the price and I take his filthy garments off of him. I'm taking all of the stains off of him and I'm putting on pure, clean garments because I have taken his iniquity away. In other words, Jesus Christ says to the judge, judge, we're going to drop these charges because I'm about to, by grace, by a sovereign decree, I'm about to remove the very thing that Satan's accusing this man of. And so that's what happens. The dirty garments come off and Joshua's from head to toe, the turban down to his ankles of the gown. He's given brand new, pure, clean garments. And then you hear this, verse six in, in Zechariah three, the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Kaboom. I love that. So it's not just that Joshua is barely eking through and now he's acceptable and he's just in on a technicality. Woo, that was close. He barely made it, but Jesus to the rescue gave him the garments and now Joshua can have the capacity to stand before God. Now, if that's all that there was, that's great. That's stunning. That's amazing because Joshua didn't deserve it, but Jesus made it happen. Jesus silenced the accuser by what Jesus had done for Joshua. and But that's not all that it was said. Then Jesus declares, and by the way, Joshua, you keep walking in this way. I've just changed your garments. I've just made you new. I've just removed the accuser's voice off your life. Now walk in my ways and follow me, and you're going to have authority in my house and charge in my courts. And I'll give you the right of access among those who are standing here. In other words, Joshua, this is permanent, man. I've done this for you. I not only have made you clean, I've made you worthy. Do you get that? He says, you can come here anytime. You can have access among those who are standing here. I'm going to give you charge of my courts. You're going to rule my house. That's the position of a son. He just went from the accused, filthy, defiled, indicted defendant whom Satan is prosecuting with accusation and facts. Jesus steps in, cleans, cleanses him and says, nope, we've just changed everything. Satan, you can shut your mouth. Because I have put brand new garments on him. I've taken away every sin, uh, every sin, every stain. He is now clothed in my righteousness. And Satan, I want you to hear this. He has access where you don't have access. Joshua, you can come here anytime you want because I've made you acceptable. Satan, you only get in if I let you in and it'll only be a short term. Man, I love that. 
I love it. I love it. I love it. Some of you need to hear that because that's, listen, that's what happened when you got saved. No, you need to hear me on this. The accuser never wants you to know how fully accepted you are by the father. He never wants you to focus on the fact that, no, you could not take off your own filthy, sin-stained, unrighteous ways. You couldn't. You were condemned. You were in court. You were standing before God. You were condemned. There was nothing you could do. Accusations were sticking. But Jesus comes in and takes all of that accusation, all of the actuality behind the accusation, all of the crimes, all of the sins, everything you've done. And Jesus, everything you've done, by the way, everything you've done against God, past, present, and future. A lot of my friends don't like me to say future sins are under the blood. Well, let me tell you, when the blood was shed, all of your sins were future. (laughs) So I want you to know, all sins, past in your experience, past sins, present sins, future sins, they're under the blood of Jesus because all of your sins were future when Jesus died and said it is finished. So you're comprehensively acceptable to the Father, not based on what you've done, but based on what Jesus did, based on his righteous garments that have been placed on your account. And so now you have access and authority and you have the ability in the courts. That's what he, he actually used that word. He said that I will give you rule in my house in charge of my courts. So now when you're accused, you don't have to just droop your head and beat yourself up and say, just let me pay the price. Because the price has already been paid. You actually have charge in the courts of God. And you're able to say, no, my sin has been paid for. Every single bit of it. The very thing that I failed in this week is under the blood of Jesus. And I will walk in his ways and I will repent and I will forsake my sin. And I will trust that the one who paid and died for my sins has made me acceptable to the Father. So why is that important? Because friends, if you will preach that gospel to yourself over and over again, Satan will eventually stop accusing you. Do you hear me on that? The the reason why so many people suffer in perpetual shame and guilt for sins that Jesus has fully paid for is because they actually live in agreement with the ministry of accusation. Satan just tells you, he tells you what you've done equals who you are. And that's not true. Because let me tell you who I am. I am a blood-bought 100% comprehensively forgiven, washed, saved, secured, spirit indwelt, welcomed son of God. That is who I am. You say, well, Jeff, what about when you sin? Oh, it's not about if I sin. It is, it is when I sin, because I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know that I go 24 hours with every single word, thought, and action aligning 100% with the righteousness of God. That's what sin is. Anything that doesn't 100% align with the righteousness of God is sin. So it's not if I sin, it's when I sin. But that doesn't change who I am. Who I am is secured by Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ is has done to give me that identity cannot be assaulted and it cannot be undermined and it cannot be diminished. So when I sin, I am not acting through identity. I'm actually acting in opposition, opposition to my identity. And the process involves the Holy Spirit immediately convicting the Christian's heart when he or she sins. And then that Christian coming into agreement, what confession means literally in the Latin, it means to agree with. You're, you're confessing with God. You're agreeing with God. You're not telling God what you've done. He already knows. You're saying, God, this was wrong. This was sin. This was something I shouldn't have done. Please forgive me. I plead the blood of Jesus. And you repent and you forsake that sin. And so what happens is when you resist the ministry of accusation, 
the ministry of accusation wants you to do this. Oh, wow. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. Jesus loves me. Look at all that Jesus has done for me and look at what I've done. I'm a terrible person. I am an awful, terrible person. I may not even really be saved because can a saved person actually do say or think what I just did, said or thought? And I'm probably just going to need to do something to work this off. God, um, forgive me. I'm, I'm not going to presume to enter into your presence. I, I won't fake it at church. I'm not going to even read my Bible. I won't pretend to enjoy worship music. I'm just going to sulk for a few days. I'm just going to punish myself. I'm just going to um, declare to everybody I'm a worm and I'm a terrible sinner. And, and you actually come into agreement with the accuser when you think like that. Man, I'm feeling this so strong right now. Some of you have blown it recently and you're actually coming more into agreement with what the devil is saying about what you've done than what the Holy Spirit is saying about what you've done. Because the Holy Spirit does not identify you by your latest failure. The enemy does. And if you're, you're sulking and beating yourself up and you're constantly walking in shame and guilt, it is because you have listened to the ministry of accusation and you have to come against that lie with truth. That's the only thing that sets you free. You, the truth will set you free. And you come into agreement with the truth. And you literally, I, I listen, I, I did this for years. I still do it occasionally. When I feel accusation creeping in and, and, and the enemy trying to bind me up in shame and guilt because I said or thought or did something that was inconsistent with who I am as a follower of Jesus. When I feel that creeping in, I terminate it immediately now. I say, no, in the name of Jesus, that's not who I am. That's what I did. The blood of Jesus is for me. The blood of Jesus is against you. Whatever demon is lying to me, accusing me, or trying to bring a false identity on me, I, I literally verbalize it, talking out loud. And I, I tell, I resist the devil. You submit unto God, resist the devil, and the devil has to flee. Well, how do you resist the devil? You meet him at his own game. He's communicating to you. You start communicating to him. You literally start saying out loud because the devil is not omniscient. It helps you for him to hear what comes out of your mouth. And so you start confessing all that Jesus has done. When the enemy is telling you everything that's wrong with you, you start telling him everything that's right about Jesus. Because everything that's right about Jesus is the securing of your identity. And so the accusation comes against your identity because it seeks to make what you've done greater than what Christ has done for you. And by the way, we're not just talking about sin. Sometimes it's just a sense of um, the enemy lying to you. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not committed enough. Um, you're not theologically informed enough. You're, you're not flowing in the spirit enough. Um, you're not moral enough. You're not righteous enough. You don't love enough. You don't give enough grace. You don't extend enough mercy. You're not patient enough. And it's that enough, enough, enough. And finally, when the devil is telling you enough, 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 you have to look at him and say, that's enough. You literally have to say, that is enough. You are a liar. You're a murderer, a thief, and a liar. And the blood of Jesus Christ is against you. And very frequently, I will use the biblical phrase, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. You can find that in the book of Jude. That we don't rail in our own power against the enemy. We literally say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And we invoke the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the covenant of Jesus. And I just remind the demonic realm and Satan. It's almost never Satan, by the way. It's almost always the demonic realm. Satan is not omniscient. He can't be everywhere at the same time. And so you're almost always dealing with a demon. Um, but they know their master's name. 
And so you say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And I literally, I started praying this about a year and a half ago. I just started praying. Every time I feel accused, tempted, any of that, I immediately say, Lord, be merciless unto the demon that is accusing or tempting me right now. Lord, show no mercy to that demon. You know that demon's name. You created that demon. That demon is in rebellion against you. Lord, call that demon out. Send it into the pit before it's time. Do you remember when the demons begged Jesus not to do that? They, they, they're terrified of being sent to the, the abyss before the appointed day of final judgment. And so I just use what I know they're afraid of. They're afraid of being um, excommunicated from my realm, your realm. And they, get, they are afraid of being sentenced into the abyss by Jesus before the appointed day. So I just bring up the Bible, man. I just start fighting lies with truth. And you can too. So as I'm closing out, let me just say this. I know I, this was like a fire hydrant today. <laughs> Very few um, notes, a whole lot of exhortation. But I'm burdened for some of you because God is going to do some great things in your life. But you have to quit listening to the devil. And, and listen, you, you're going to have to bring your emotions into submission to the gospel. I appreciate the fact that some of you are feelers. I wish I could you know, be more feely. But in, in an arena like this, um, your emotions are not going to help you. Your emotions are more susceptible to agree with the enemy because we already tend towards feeling guilty and shameful about our sin. So you have to fight back and you have to say, yes, my sin was wrong. What I said, what I did, what I thought was wrong, but I am not going to allow the emotion of despair, shame, and guilt to own me because what Jesus Christ has done for me in the shedding of his eternal blood for my salvation and my shalom, my wholeness, my sozo, what he has done for me is greater than what I just did that was inconsistent with my identity in him. Preach the gospel to the devil. Make him listen to you. Tell the demons, hey, you, you just might want to just be quiet in the name of Jesus right now. I want you to listen to me praise Jesus. If you want to stay here, you're going to stay here and let me listen to me praise Jesus Christ for what he's done for me and what he's going to do to you. Remind the enemy of their doom and their destiny. Remind them of the glory of God that Satan wanted for himself that he can never have. But you are a partaker of glory and we're going to be glorified. So you have to get combative, not defensive, not always playing defense, but get offensive and start throwing down some markers about who you are in Jesus and tell it to yourself until you are 100% convinced that you are not the sum total of your list of failures and sins, but that your identity is secured because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And when you start believing that, guess what happens? You'll start living that. And the very sins that Satan uses to accuse you will decrease in frequency because you'll start saying, I'm actually going to operate according to my identity and who I am in Jesus. When you operate in shame, you start hearing all the time, well, yeah, I'm a terrible sinner, so what, what do you end up doing? You, you end up living like a terrible sinner. But when you start saying, no, I'm not a terrible sinner. I'm a Christian who is in the state of being sanctified, therefore I will occasionally sin, but I'm actually a saint who struggles with sin, not a sinner striving to be a saint. Whew. I hope some of you are receiving this today. Look, my time's gone.
Uh, I'm just going to follow this up with another one. So keep tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. Help me get the word out. Listen, one, I, I go into some of the demonic encounters in my book called Figuring Out As I Go. If you have not gotten a copy of Figuring Out As I Go, go to transformingtruth.org or Amazon or wherever you buy books and order a copy of it because in there I give accounts about how um, even pre-salvation I encounter demonic attacks and then warfare. And I think you'll be helped, but you need to be writing your own testimony. You need to be gaining experience and victory in this realm so that the enemy has to move on from you. And if you don't believe that he'll do that, then you don't believe your Bible because my Bible says when I submit myself unto God and I resist the devil, the devil will flee. It doesn't mean that they won't continue to circle back and attack, but you're fighting offensively so you're better prepared when they do come back and attack. They'll change up their strategy on you and the one thing you need to disarm them from is continually winning the battle against your mind through their ministry of accusation. No, my friend, Jesus has put new garments on you. Hallelujah. He's welcomed you into his courts. Hallelujah. And he's given you a very significant identity through what he's done. We'll talk to you next time. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.